0: Hey, this is George. Wanted to correct a small error I made in this episode. I keep referring to the featured conlang as tepa. The correct pronunciation is teva. There's a lenition rule in phonology that's not reflected in the romanization. Thank you. Welcome to ConLangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and over there, a little bit closer to Washington to me, is Bianca Mangum. Hello. I'm finding more creative ways to say Maryland. <laughs> and then, up just south of America's hat, we have William Annis. <laughs> Hello.
1: You're like the forehead or the (laughs) brow.
0: So, today we have a really... I'm very excited about this topic. It's kinship terminology. So, if there's one semantic domain that can carry a huge amount of information about your culture, one group of words, it can be kinship terms. How does your language divide up parents, siblings, uncles, aunts, cousins, and those pesky in-laws? Having a well-developed kinship terminology can go hand-in-hand hand with developing the family structure of the, of the con-culture. So we can talk a little bit about both sides of it, but we're going to lean more towards the actual terms. But, you know, those terms have to be understood within the family structure. William, you gave us this really interesting reference. I think I've seen this before uh, or something like it.
2: So this is all based on the work of an anthropologist actually working in the late 1800s, Lewis Henry Morgan, who divided the kinship systems of the world into basically six systems. Wait, is that right? Six or seven. People count differently and then sometimes you add in. Um, the Australian Aboriginal systems. And there seems to be um, a modest link between how the society is organized and what sort of kinship terminology, um, what system you pick. I think it's interesting that these systems pop up all over. So you might have... You know, a similar system used in China as is used in, you know, South America or someplace like that. So that's interesting. Most of them are named after Native American groups, um, Mm -hmm. just because that was the data he had. the most complex of the systems is the Sudanese one. (laughs) So that one's not not a Native one, but the, the rest of them are. They're the Hawaiian, the Eskimo, the Iroquois, the Omaha, and the Crow. Um yeah.
0: the Hawaiian e- looks interesting to me mainly because it groups all all the all the people in the same generation as the ego as one thing.
2: Right. So yeah. we should say when we say ego that's a s- special terminology so that we don't say I which gets confusing.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, which, yeah, yeah, we so say,
2: so uh, ego ego is the point of reference to the kinship system.
0: Yeah, ego is the guy who's talking. That's yeah. basically what we should say. Yeah. Ego,
1: yeah, it looks like the Hawaiian system just ripped off Inyoek, <laughs> or vice versa.
0: Yeah. Or ego, <laughs> ne- not necessarily the guy who's talking, but the guy who's your point of reference. So, whoever's who, whoever you're defining somebody in relation to, <laughs> is the ego. And so. From there you get to what do you call mother and father, and then what do you call grandparents, and what do you call aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters and all that. There's a very large number of different... But, well, there's these various basic systems. I can't find one necessarily that exactly matches... No, 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 no. yeah. Well, the Chinese one is... yeah. A little that that the that's, is that's, a little wacky but
2: i i would consider it a, a variation of the Sudanese, so the Hawaiian kinship system is awfully simple, yeah all of your siblings and cousins are the same word
0: yeah and, and, and all alike. of
2: your your father and all of your male relatives all of the male siblings of your father and mother have the same word, so. Uncle, maternal or paternal, and father are all the same word, and okay. the mother, yeah, mother or aunt on on either side are all the same word. So yeah.
0: that's lovely. That yeah. You know, makes... So that's like three terms for two generations.
1: <laughs> yeah. The only thing I'm not liking about this website is they don't put like the grandmother, grandfather, or have the in laws. Well, okay, those are harder
2: to. Those are harder
1: to define. Yeah, can I I just say my pet peeve? I wish there was a word for in-laws, for people you're not actually married to, like my boyfriend's family. I don't like calling them my boyfriend's family. I just want to call them my in-laws, even though we're not married. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, that deals with a a (laughs) cultural issue of what of uh, marriage versus.
1: Living in sin, <laughs>
0: yeah, versus um, other arrangements. But uh,
1: anyway, back we, to the seriousness.
0: We, so, since the, our society puts a higher value on formal marriage, for I don't know, it's not nearly really for any particular reason that's rational. It's just <laughs> convention. It just okay. is. That takes us out of the purview of this podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: but uh, okay, I'll 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 start keeping my political opinions to myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. But let's 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 move back to kinship terms. So, the simplest here is the Hawaiian kin terms uh-huh. that we have on here. Looks like the Sudanese is the most complex. Yes, let's and take that for last. <laughs> so, in the Sudanese system, it's. Your mother's and father's, uh.
2: Whether your uncles and aunts are maternal or paternal have different vocabulary. Yeah. And your maternal uncles' children have different cousin words than your maternal, than your paternal aunts. <laughs> right. Cousin. So you've got one, two, three, four sets of cousin and, and, four sets of cousin words to learn.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you what what he said is uh son of daughter of your brother's sister, son or daughter <laughs> of your brother's brother, son or daughter of your mother's brother, son or daughter of your mother's sister. That's all different.
1: I love how rubbish it is talking about this in a language that doesn't have the words
2: for sure. it. <laughs> What's interesting is that the old English language, what we know of that system, we're, we're missing some vocabulary, seems to be following this very complex Sudanese system, so that your father's sisters and brothers have different terms from your mother's sisters
0: and brothers. That's interesting. Right. And it reminds me a little bit of Chinese, except that Chinese does not, is not that complex with cousins, actually. Except Chinese has a whole different dimension that he hasn't reflected in his systems in that it distinguishes relative age when you're talking about the same – within a generation. Right. Ah. Because –
2: Gaga, Didi, and all of that stuff.
0: Yeah. And that extends to cousins, and it also extends to your brother's siblings – or your father's siblings, sorry – your father's siblings, or your father's brothers, actually—referring <laughs> re- to them against your father.
2: Yeah, for for the Chinese system, when I saw that appendix to my Chinese dictionary, I I just, yeah, it scared me a little.
0: <laughs> it it ah. it's a little frightening at first. The cousin terms aren't that hard once you learn the brother and sister terms because mm. they use those, and the uh, the cousin terms are actually it's. Divides cousins, cousins that are related to you only by men, and then all the rest of them. We Something haven't crashed.
2: talked about the um, kinship systems of Aboriginal Australia. They can be pretty complex too, and they have other um, little filigrees added on top. We can talk about in a bit. But I remember reading in Dixon, and I forget if it was in in one of his sort of overviews or if it was his, his, um, memoirs of, of doing field work in Australia. Some Aboriginal groups like to talk about these systems. They know that their kinship system is complex <laughs> and detailed oh. and they like to sit around. And this is a way for people to indulge in some some intellectual pastime and to, to show off and, and one up your friends is to, to try to think about these very complicated kinship systems that they have. So that's interesting to me that if you, if you have a system this complex, then it becomes an object of discussion in itself.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know if, uh, I, some of my Chinese friends have had discussions about their kinship system. But I don't know if they do that amongst themselves or just with foreigners. So right, that's a really
2: I am sure is a granny though, a Chinese granny who
0: knows everything.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: I'm sure this is like an old I,
2: person topic. Yeah, you know, I'm guessing. Oops. I'm guessing they can
0: calculate any relationship necessary.
1: This reminds me of like hobbits. <laughs> some,
0: some old granny or some Taoist priest somewhere or stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think this is more the purview of grannies, but you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a granny thing cuz I don't imagine a monk having an extended family to be like I have 20 million grandchildren the yeah. way a grandmother may.
0: I would I would say one thing is that it makes cross-cultural communication interesting because when you're learning a language like like this, when I was learning Chinese, I'd ask my mom how I was related specifically to different cousins. And when I was unsure about whether they were older or younger, because they're close to me, I would ask her about that and stuff like that. It makes for a lot of interesting stuff. But anyway, pulling back to how do you make this kind of stuff? Obviously, from what we've been talking about, these basic formulas that are on this site, which I'll link in the show, show notes, uh, systematic Kinship terminologies is basically what the... These are are your starting point to go from, and then you can even expand it from there, depending on what you need or what you want. Because, as we said, there's languages that have even more distinctions on top of this stuff. Sure, sure. So, like, for
2: example, the distinction between elder and younger, which Chinese system, and certainly some other systems do this, typically it's it's the closer the relative is to you in the sense of more closely related is more likely that you are to care about that uh, another thing i want to mention which is is really interesting and quite common on the planet is systems of moiety moiety is a, a funky french derived word meaning halves um uh. the, the simplest moiety systems there are two moieties so for example the the klingit in the Pacific Northwest, have two moieties. And whatever your mother is, you inherit that moiety. So you can either be, I think it's Raven is one of the moieties and Eagle is the other. Well, there's Raven and then there's another one, which in some places will be Eagle. So we'll stick with Raven and Eagle. Are these multiple clans or what? Well, no, there will be multiple clans within a moiety. The point is you must marry outside your moiety.
1: Oh. That sounds like a good basis for, a, like, a soap opera. That's actually a very interesting
0: thing to talk about is, uh, exogamy and endogamy can affect, or to, uh, to laymanize those terms, uh, what the re- culture requires for marriage, whether it's how far they are outside of the group or how far they are inside of the group, uh, can affect this. I know that a lot of the Chinese stuff, I was mentioning this with cousins, but it affects other things is uh a lot of people who are related to you through through women who are considered outside of your family and therefore okay to marry, but within the parental line you're not allowed. This is old Chinese stuff. This is not sure. What and and, and they that's now. But that's... Um, But this is normal.
2: You either, you pick one, you pick a patrimoiety or a matrimoiety, and the whole point is to avoid marrying people who are too close to you. So long as everyone's following the same system, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Inyak has something very similar and I didn't realize it because, although it's kind of in a state of um, change, uh, there's five regions in the general Inyak territory and within each region there's Usually one major clan, because that's how they came about. The clans killed everyone, la la la. Um, But now people are switching from using their clan name to using the regional name. So the taboo of marrying someone outside of a clan is disappearing as the regions and clans start to mix. That's that's a
0: very interesting thing. And there's a lot of things that control... Uh, who you're supposed to marry even outside of just family considerations. I believe there's, I read about a group of languages where most of the cultures that speak these, they, they ask, they require you to marry someone who has a different native language from you. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah.
2: So, so the, the two separate tribes, the Klingit and the Haida, who live in the Pacific Northwest have the same moiety systems because they've been living together next to each other for so long uh-huh. ah. and and then in Australia, it gets even more complicated, so in addition to the complicated kinship system, <laughs> they have split some of them, some of them have a simple you know moiety system with you know just two groups, but you'll find some systems that have divided that up further into four. Or even eight moieties, except they're called skin systems in, um, in Australian English. So something like the Walpiri, there's this complicated system of if your mother and your father have to be of particular skins and then the child is of a, of yet a different skin and then you're usually the same skin as your maternal grandfather or something like that and and who you can marry is highly constrained and this constraint was not optional right mm-hmm. it's as strong as a taboo on incest to break that pattern so wow.
1: this is an even better soap opera thing
2: <laughs> right these days the, this, the skin system is falling apart and people are getting married who wouldn't before and would in the past have you know, been dealt with, but.
0: <laughs> oh dear. <What?
1: laughs> no, but that. that Sorry. You know,
0: that's that's the, something that. That was wonderfully
1: euphemistic. Oh, yeah.
0: dealt with? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know. So. There's really a lot of different ways you can go and it, a lot of times it'll depend on different cultural things. You know, if they follow a, a matrilineal sort of moiety or a patrilineal moiety that can affect how people put distinctions into the language, that seems like a very logical Thing to me is that whatever distinctions are more important culturally to you are going to affect how you classify people even within your own family. And, and within
2: the Australian system, what skin you're in may determine certain um, uh, uh, ritual obligations. You may be the people who are responsible for particular seasonal rituals. You may be forbidden certain kinds of food interesting right it, it becomes that, a starting point that that leads out into the totality of the culture yeah this,
1: this skin system sounds to sound worse and worse everything you tell me about it
2: just the complexity of it you mean
1: like the complexity and like you know kind of sucks just to be put in one
2: oh but whatever <laughs> well that's the way it is
1: that's life
2: You know what? We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose our skin.
0: (laughs) We don't get to choose our skin. (laughs) Uh,
2: So, we we don't have the time to discuss all of this, but if if people are interested, they should definitely check out some of the links we give because particular uh, kinship systems are associated with the lifestyle of the people who it's attached to. You do not expect the full-on Sudanese kinship system in a small, almost nuclear-family-oriented hunter-gatherer group. It just isn't going to happen.
0: No, they kind of don't really need it.
2: So, right, if if you're feeling in the mood (laughs) to invent a Sudanese kinship system, make sure that you've attached it to people who it makes sense for.
1: Indeed.
0: Indeed probably people with I'd say people with large extended families or tend to live in large extended family groups like like the ancient Chinese did at least among the richer folk Mm -hmm. so and you know there's going to be little quirks in it that reflect other parts of the culture so I think that's about all we have to say about that but it was a very good overview of what, what you can expect with kinship systems. And I will put a link in the show notes to this, these, uh, different basic types that we were talking about. And also people can look up some specific languages we were talking about. So why don't we move on to, uh, our featured conlang. Is everybody still here? Yep. Yeah. Okay.
2: We're just waiting for you to chew through whatever it is you're trying to say. <laughs> okay.
0: Well uh <laughs> now that I is... don't
1: have the evil buzz of my computer, I can just be quiet.
0: Well this was this was suggested by uh William. Uh the conlang is Teppa. TEPPA was created by Dirk Elsinka. Uh English yeah, no studying American English language. American Indian Languages, and he uses the conceit of a fictional Mormon missionary's notes to present a language isolated that I'm presuming would have been spoken in Utah, was it? would it be? Or did they ever give any specific place uh-huh. where it's
1: spoken?
2: So it was close, probably around there, since they said that they lived close to the Utes. It
1: says yeah. in southeastern Utah.
0: Yep.
1: Oh, Okay. Can I say how much I enjoyed the story behind this language? Like, yeah, that
0: was that was the main thing that I was I like read about this is it.
1: great. This should yeah. be a movie. <laughs> Alright. And then they can put the language in the movie and I'd be entertained.
0: <laughs> yes. As long as they get the actors to speak it properly.
1: <laughs> of course not.
0: <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. But anyway, <laughs> William, you suggested this. Are there any, like, specific features or anything about the language? I just know that it looks very, very well-developed. Yeah. Uh, well, the
2: parts of it that are developed are very well-developed. There, There's plenty missing. Um, of course. So... The documentation for this language has appeared multiple places on the web, and it has finally landed at the Frath Wiki, which hopefully will exist longer than some of its other homes. The language is invented in 1996, Mm -hmm. and I've been running into it occasionally for a large part of my language invention career. And I have to say, the first time I saw the phonology and the spelling system, my head almost exploded. It's... A radically phonemic system. So it represents the underlying phonemes and doesn't bother to change the spelling for all of these conditioned changes.
1: Ha! <laughs> like in your ha. Huh? Like,
2: so that, for example, the letter uh... the letter T may be pronounced ta. It may be pronounced the, an interdental, or it may be palatalized to ja. Well, oh. it would be G. It would only occur before a, before a, an I or a, or a, yeah. So, I could not understand what madness would inspire someone to produce a language in which the word spelled S-A-T-I would be pronounced Saji. <laughs> Having subsequently studied Uto Aztec languages, I have a deeper appreciation for what he was on about.
0: Oh, so does it, does it have a, a strong resemblance to Uto Aztec? Uto Aztec, some parts of it do.
2: Um, Hopi, so for example, in Hopi, adject- uh, attributive adjectives are prefixes. You don't. Mm-hmm. They just get slammed onto the noun. So the word for dog is boko. And the word for white by itself is ketsi. And when you smash white onto dog, you get kosavoko. So boko, in addition to some vowel changes, has become a voko. In Hopi, because they're friendly, they write that change. (laughs) The P is not written like a P when it occurs between vowels. (laughs) So, this sort of process happens in a lot of the northern Uto-Aztecan languages. And so, the, the sound system, this love of enclitics, and, and something, some things about the nouns are quite like Uto-Aztecan. The verb is not like any Uto-Aztecan language I've ever seen. The verb is altogether weird. Um,
0: <laughs> well, and it's, it's of sort, of, sort
2: of a, a, a mix of Uto-Aztecan and
0: Algonquin. Maybe. Yeah. Well, which it kind of makes sense, though, because this language is supposed to be, according to his fictional history of it, it's supposed to be an isolate. So it probably would have heavy influence from sure. the these Ute aerial language. features.
2: Yes, aerial features from the U2s Tekken, and, and then its own um, its own funky verb system. The the thing yeah. that is so interesting about the verbs that it's so un is you have a, f- a few prefixes that indicate both the subject and the direct object. This is for, for transitive verbs. So you have second person does something to first person, second person does something to third person, first person does second to third person.
0: Okay, yeah, I see these.
2: Right. Which but that's, that's what they mean. So for example, I see him uses the prefix wa plus C, which I've not concocted here. To make it say he sees me, there is not a different prefix, you use a different verb stem that indicates that those roles have been inversed. Inverted.
1: (laughs) That's devilish.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That that's completely evil. That is, that's completely standard behavior in Algonquin languages, except they use a suffix, not a different verb stem. So, that's
1: devilish and wonderful. It, it is devilish and
2: wonderful, right? So, <laughs> yes, the L, so he it involves a, an L infix is when you to to the verb stem is what's used to to switch those things around hmm. to flip the hierarchy. So, yes.
0: I'd- don't quite understand why you would, why it would be constructed that way, but you know, seeing as it occurs in natural languages in a slightly different manner, it's plausible. Well, there's this animacy or agency hierarchy. The
2: idea is, if I'm talking, I'm more likely likely to talk about what I'm doing rather than what other people are doing. So first person has primacy by default. Ah. Okay. Second person has the next level, and third person's lowest down. Now, each different language has tweaked this a little bit, but you take the most common case and make that default, and then do something special to say that the most common case has been inverted.
0: I may have to try to use this in a language (laughs) in order to fully understand it. Right. Sure, that's the the best
2: way to to, to play with it. Unfortunately, his documentation on temo verbs is doesn't have as many examples as i might like um,
1: i agree i was there, looking there are, for more cuz they were yeah. quite interesting you
2: can go looking for them in the the annotated texts right he's got two texts that are nicely glossed into with interlinears which will make bianca happy yeah they, they, so have, you, glosses. they yes, have glosses yes so so you can go you know look at at these things um and 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 see them a little bit more, see them at work, but uh,
0: yeah, he only that... has a couple. But they, but it is interesting. One is just Bible text, and then the other is some coyote myth. <laughs> with I'm not sure if he borrowed that from another tribe or came up with it on his own.
2: There are so many coyote <laughs> tales. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say.
2: So. Anyway, so there, this is just one of the, uh, you know, it uses postpositions and, and there's interesting changes to the verbs, the, excuse me, the, the noun stems as well that all combine together to make a really magnificent thing. It, it, this is, I would put this language on the top 10 of things beginning conlanger should see, both in terms of description and in really doing something quite different from relaxing
1: english i'm going to agree this i actually like this one this was really interesting as i read it yeah. yay not just one cuz it has like its own setting and i thought it was well done but two just cuz it does stuff different and maybe it's cuz i don't know much about like you know the languages of that region but it's definitely stuff i haven't seen and God, I do enjoy those verbs a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I didn't drill down much into
1: the grammar, but it's nice that It doesn't seem to have third person. It uses demonstratives, which I guess I'm too lazy to ever want to do, but whatever. It's interesting Uh, to me.
0: And it's VOS, of course, though he defines his... He defines his sentence structure a little bit more than just VOS that it has a very specific structure of verb object indirect object and then subject or whatever but um, yeah it looks very interesting it it looks fairly well thought out it it's not necessarily the information presented here is not necessarily complete, but it's enough to be for you to go over it for hours and hours.
1: Oh, easily.
0: And yeah. and just the fact that he has this whole backstory of it, how the brother Joseph guy found sort of uh, lived with the Teppa, and, uh, and all this is supposedly from his notes and all that. I was going to say, he's a, he's currently a professor of linguistics.
2: So I assume, and then since I I just did a quick check, he does have an interest in Uto Aztecan languages. So my, (laughs) my guess is this language is a result of him, his studies in graduate school, perhaps with his own little mix of, of things. Like I was just looking at the derivational morphology. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And he has a special suffix that is used to produce words for small, buzzing animal or insect. <laughs> and several yuto second languages do seem to have special word creation stems for some bugs. Really? Yes.
1: Could use that with, like, your little brother? <laughs>
2: right. I, he doesn't I seem...
1: It,
0: <laughs> I don't necessarily think of Bugs. When I think of that area, unless you, if you include down in Mexico, but that's a whole different thing. But uh, it's definitely a very interesting language. Before we go, I want to do a feedback. Uh, unless somebody has more to say on that language.
1: Nope. No, I wanted to do the feedback.
0: Okay, let's let's do the feedback. So we have, we had a comment on episode four. This is our episode about getting started conlanging. And from Peter. And he says, suggestions for word generation, singing. I've found that, uh, different melodies lead to different results. Classical music works best for me. You do need to have a good grasp of your language's phonology and it takes practice to not end up relaxing your native language's uh, phonology, but it's a l- little more intimate and personal than r- running a random word generator. Uh, plus one on lingu- lingu- classics classes and Wikipedia. Definitely agree that you should use IPA in this day and age. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <He>
1: says, <laughs> Describing sucks.
0: Morphosyntax by Thomas Paine has a scary title but is a gold mine for the conlanger. It is full of good ideas for unusual features not commonly found in your standard Indo-European languages. Numerous examples from many different languages are in- included, and many topics are explored in-depth uh, without the sometimes overwhelming attention to detail that can lose an- the amateur linguist. Additionally, it has a very comprehensive list of questions that make you really think about how language works.
1: Yay! I was so happy to see this comment, because um, not more than two months ago, I managed to acquire a copy of Describing Morphosyntax*, and I've been using it to sort through my Inyout grammar, And it's so useful, like there were details that I had put in that I hadn't even noticed like between um, possession, like uh, alienable and inalienable possession, which I hadn't even realized I had done, but I was able to describe because I was going through describing morphosyntax. So I highly recommend it. Yeah,
0: I, I actually bought describing morphosyntax a while ago, but I... Only recently actually cracked it open and took a look at it, and I think, yeah, it's a very good resource. It's a little bit more advanced than the other things that we were mentioning. In it's our definitely
1: not episodes. for beginner beginner. You're gonna want to read some stuff first, but yeah. if you get to the point where you want to like sit down and like thoroughly describe what you've done, yeah, and it's
0: not written for language creation. It's It's written
1: for For language description. It's, it's very similar to what I used when I was in my field methods class. In fact, I wish I had had it in my field methods class. It probably would have made my life easier.
0: Well, that's what it's for. Exactly. Field linguistics. And, but it, it gives you a very good step-by-step guide into how to write a grammar. So when you're, you're ready to codify the grammar of your language, you, you can look through this some things might not be relevant to you, but something, but it's definitely a very good resource. Yeah. William, do you have an opinion on describing more for syntax? I've never seen it, but I certainly, lots of people recommend it highly. Thank you very much for commenting, Peter, and we, we read comments from the site, uh, if you email conlanger at com, you could be read on, on the show, and we also have a voicemail line, which nobody has used yet.
1: <laughs> also, don't forget to tell them they can record something ahead and then send it to us if they use Dropbox or something.
0: Yeah, or just send it as the attachment, or, uh, so you can record audio of yourself and just email it to me. And I, I might, I may use it on the show. It, I I really would like to see a little bit more of the audience engagement, because I think this, that would make the show better.
1: I enjoy it. It makes me really happy when we see comments, or well, when I see comments. I know that.
0: So, I think that wraps up the podcast. Uh, any last words from William? Nope. nope.
1: Bianca? Sampa sucks. (laughs) All right. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) You can cut that out.
0: Good conlanging, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at ConLangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own ConLang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line, 304 873 we also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Videus.